to the House of Minds, a podcast experience where we dive into individuals' journeys and mindsets with the intention and potential to bring you keys to unlock and expand your mind into new realities and possibilities, because we can all learn something from everyone. All you must bring is a desire to learn, an open mind, and the trust that the universe is always working for you. What will the House of Minds bring you today? Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of House of Minds. My name is Christina Lynn, and today we have back on the show Amy Solera Mackey, who is a witch, mother, and priestess in Sacred Partnership. She's also been trained in the Osteric Arts and the Occult, and that is primarily what we'll be diving into today is all about astrology, conscious parenting, and how astrology can both help with the parenting process, but also for a higher connection in understanding the self and moving about life. And our last episode, I think it was about episode eight or nine, we had done it on conscious um, conscious co-creation of a relationship. So go back, catch that. There's lots of good tidbits in there. Um, welcome back, Amy. I'm so excited to dive into another episode with you, and I'm thrilled to spend another hour picking your brain. Thanks so much for having me, Christine. Um, yeah, it's I, the esoteric world is my jams. And a lot of people hear the word occult and they get scared and really just means knowledge that's been kept hidden or secret. It's not anything dark. I mean, it can be something dark, but not everything is. So um, with that in mind, the meditation we're going to go through is a practice that comes from this world of grounding and connecting, getting your um, conscious mind to tap into what your spiritual body can do. So for everybody listening, if you are not driving, then go ahead and close your eyes. If you are, you can do this while moving. <laughs> miracle of miracles. Uh, let your breath be your guide. Notice where it is right now. Are you... <sighs> breathing slowly? Are you breathing fast? Are you breathing out of your chest or your belly? If you can, shift into slow inhales through your nose and even slower exhales out your nose. And I find that when I focus my attention on this, my diaphragm is what begins to move rather than my chest rising and falling. So you should feel your belly moving. A lot of times in our culture, we suck our belly in all the time because we're concerned about appearing fat. And that actually is not good for our breath. So let your belly expand and then let it contract with every inhale and exhale. As we do this, we send our attention, our awareness, our energy down through our body. If you're sitting down, it's going to come out of your sits bones below your tailbone. If you're standing up, maybe washing dishes like I love to do while listening to podcasts, let it go down your legs and out of your feet. Either way, it's going into the ground. And as you send that breath energy focus down goes down through the ground, through 
the soil that hasn't seen the sun in years through the bedrock down even further still through the magma to the very center of the earth and it anchors there in whatever way feels best to you either with roots with an actual anchor with just a plumb line whatever you feel like you need to connect to the core of our planet the very heart of mama gaia as you inhale pull that fiery inner earth energy up comes up through the magma, up through the bedrock, up through the soil, up through you, all the way through your body until it reaches the crown of your head and it spills out and circles down and around the way it came, surrounding you inside and out with grounding earth light. From here, send your awareness up, goes up through the crown of your head, up through the ceiling and the roof if you're inside, or just the sky if you're out, up through the atmosphere and the solar system and the galaxy and the stars you can see past the stars you cannot, to the very center of the cosmos. As you inhale, pull down that cool cosmic light. Coming down through the stars, down through the galaxy, down through the solar system, down through the atmosphere and the sky and all the way into the crown of your head where it falls like soft rain through you and around you until it comes out of your feet and circles back around the way it came. And now you are grounded, connected, and holding the center space. We sure are. Thank you, Amy, for that wonderful grounding and centering. And now let's begin. Uh, let's start with the astrology process. I know in our last episode, we went into a little bit of how you got into it, um, where your interest came from, where... Where did you really, like, what was the point where you really started to say, hey, there's something to this. I see how this can benefit my life. And then how did it blossom from there? I uh, first was introduced to it a long, long time ago when I was a little kid. I remember um, pulling up in a magazine and seeing it and being like, wow, what is this? And then it being super taboo through high school of, flipping to the back of magazines to see what it said for my sun sign. I didn't know anything else. And just for everybody who doesn't know anything about astrology, when you're looking at horoscopes in magazines, on the internet, um, in newsletters, a really good astrologer will tell you to look at not just your sun sign, but your rising sign as well. Mm -hmm. And your sun sign is what we have uh, popularized, right? So uh, certain months are certain signs and people know, okay, I was born on September 15th, therefore I'm a Virgo. And if I'm born on August 15th, I'm a Leo. Cool. That's your sun sign only. And that's only one of many, many planets that make up you. So when we're looking at these horoscopes, your rising sign is typically what they're actually writing for, like the oh. writing uh is based off of the way that the chart is calculated 
with the rising sign as the focus. And most people don't know the rising sign unless you know the time you were born and you go to astro.com and you punch it in, you're not gonna know what your rising sign is. And it's a huge component of your personality. It's usually how you appear when you walk in a room. And I remember when I was waking up to all of this stuff um, in a way that I could embrace it, right when I was like going, through the process of dissolving my first marriage and stepping into myself and all the things that we've talked about already. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend, we were at dinner and he was like, but like, what even is your moon sign, babe? Super gay and wonderful. And he <laughs> pulled out we his We all phone. need those friends. <laughs> we all need those friends. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, what time were you born? And I knew that and it was a miracle because most people don't just know that, but I remember a cute little plaque that my mom had painted in my bedroom growing up that had all of my birth info with cute little like teddy bears and balloons and perfect she knew you were yeah. gonna need that info later she knew and so i remember looking at it as i was falling asleep as a kid and what if you stare something over and over again you remember and it said 11 to 5 p.m and i was like great okay i know this and he typed it into astro.com and he pulled it up and he was like, okay, here you are. And it was this mind blowing moment of seeing myself. And I really do think there is something wonderfully activating about looking at your chart for the first time. I love being able to show people that and say like, this is the snapshot. This is what the sky looked like the moment you came into the world. And there's something so empowering about that. So activating on an energetic level. Mm -hmm. And I saw it and, that's when I found out I was a sun in Virgo, moon in Taurus and Gemini rising. And it explained so much more my personality that the Virgo couldn't explain. Yeah. And that's why I love it. And when we're looking at, cause we had talked about this a little bit before we started recording, when we're looking at children's charts specifically, it's the rising sign and the moon sign that will show up a whole lot more up until they're about like seven, eight, some kids even 10 or 12. And with my kids, it's 100% true. They are their rising signs more than anything else because the rising sign is connected to the soul and the body. Mm -hmm. And what's a child? Like that, that's so connected to their soul because they haven't had life experience yet to like pull them away. <laughs> they haven't had their personalities um, dampened down or pushed into place or idealized in any way. So they just kind of are yeah. whatever their energy signature was when they were born. And their emotional body as well as their physical manifestation is really manifested in the rising sign and the moon sign because okay. both of those will influence the way that a person looks the way a person talks the way a person is physically engaging with the world like mm -hmm. when you look at the rising sign you're going to tell what, how much energy they have and how they're going to use it is that like, would that equate to kind of their personality, like their personality traits? Yes and no. And I mean, there's astrologers who argue these points, of course. They're like, no, this signifies this and this signifies that. And it depends on which branch of astrology you're looking at. I personally, for all of your listeners who don't know, do tropical Hellenistic astrology. Okay. And okay. it's specific. <laughs> it's very specific. What's So what's like the differences between that and any other type of like how do they differ what's is there anything that's like uh, more specific or more beneficial about it it depends on what you're looking for um so brief very brief overview of the history of astrology as we know it today 
around 3000 something BC, the Egyptians were looking at the stars and the Sumerians were looking at the stars and the Babylonians eventually. And the philosophies and the observations combined to form systems of uh, astrology that would later become what we have today. So the Egyptian knowledge was based off of a certain set of star fixed star points as well as places in the sky and then the babylonians were really obsessed with being able to predict things especially major events um for either like coronations or going to war or other types of things so when the two sets of thinkers encountered each other which is what started to happen as these different nations were conquering and going back and forth especially when alexander the great came along and started uniting things then um the the systems merged and astrology as we know it was born and because if we remember our history classes alexander the great reached india this knowledge then transmitted over there and they had a system of moon astrology that was entirely different, but they liked what they found out from the Egyptians and Babylonians who were part of the Hellenistic Empire. And they took that knowledge and some citizens from that huge, massive group of what would become Rome set of people became citizens in India. And they translated what they knew into Sanskrit which then became Vedic astrology. So they all have the same roots, which is really fascinating. And yes, in India, they put the moon astrology together with it. So it's a slightly different system, but it's still the seven basic planets that you can see with the naked eye. And that includes what they call the luminaries. So the sun, the moon, then Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And that's what the ancients used because you need telescopes to see anything beyond that. And it's a really solid system. It, because the Greeks were obsessed with harmony and beauty and everything being in balance, mm. the signs are divided evenly amongst those seven planetary bodies. The sun rules Leo, moon rules Cancer, and then all the rest of the planets rule two signs. So it looks like so beautiful when you look at the charts. <laughs> and they created a whole set of understanding around that. And that is tropical astrology's root. Now, what happened was, uh, even in that time, they recognized that the system they had developed was out of sync of the tilt of the planet, and that as the planet moved, mm -hmm. certain things would show up at different times of the year. And they recognized that the signs that had been solidified, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, all of those, match with the seasons. And they didn't want to have to shift them because they're so seasonally perfect mm -hmm. in order to match with what was happening on the actual ecliptic based off of the planet's angle. So sidereal astrology is only looking at the ecliptic and what you can actually see in the sky. Whereas tropical astrology is going off of, yes, the Tropic of Cancer, but the seasons as they stand. Okay. And I love that understanding because there are people who are like, well, you know, tropical astrology is not real. Like, no, it's very real. It's very real based off of what our planet goes through every season. It's just not perfectly matched to the sidereal chart, which the ancients already understood. They argued about it in like 200 BC. So this isn't anything new. It's not oh a new gosh. 
Isn't, that's so amazing that we have so many of these like ancient traditions, right? That, um, that we've kind of ignored or left behind, especially maybe here in, in the Western part of the world because we are a newer country, but there is a lot of validity to the Eastern art, the Eastern arts and a lot of what they used to do back in the day. We're seeing that like more and more now. <laughs> yeah, so this this thing that was born out of what some people call the cradle of life of Mesopotamia and Egypt, um, it's still applicable. That's what's crazy. You can read excerpts from these ancient astrologers who lived in 200 BC or even 200 AD, and it still applies to people who were born during that time, that moon phase, that rising sign, whatever it is, it's still applicable and it's crazy that, okay, humans haven't changed. We've, <laughs> we might've evolved, but we haven't. <laughs> but we're still we for, sick. Yeah, we forgot a lot. And we also got obsessed with specific astrologers because of the Christian church. Mm -hmm. So the ones who made it as part of God's natural system were kept Whereas the other ones, the texts were either purposefully destroyed or they were lost. And later during the Renaissance, when they were finally in touch with the Byzantine Empire again, rather than raiding Jerusalem, like they did in the Crusades, they found the Arabic translations of these earlier documents and they retranslated them into Latin and then from Latin into English. And it, anybody who's played telephone knows what happens when you go sentence by sentence into something new. And so we lost quite a bit in translation, but we gained the practice of astrology again because of the Renaissance, because the kings and queens of that time, like Elizabeth the Great, who had a personal astrologer in her palace, like they, they valued it. And so they brought it back into normal use. And then through the enlightenment, people were like, it's not science, it's not astronomy. And they busted out other things, but people who were into spiritualism started to bring it back. And then Freud happened and everybody wanted to be analyzed. Everybody wanted to figure out their personality and they realized astrology could be that tool. Yeah. And so that's where most people stand today. Modern astrology is very heavily influenced by psychoanalysis and psychology. Mm -hmm. And not that that's good or bad. It just is. That's where it is. And if we want to look at the types of astrology we can encounter, that's probably the main one you're going to find. And that still gives the, the choice, right? Because just because something's written doesn't mean it has to be that way. Um, there's still so many different paths that you could take with the characteristics or traits that may be assigned to you. So it, there is still, there is still, you're still in control of your own fate and as to where you go with the information that you're given, but it, it is also a good, a good roadmap. It's so interesting. So I was talking to a friend that's actually an astrologist. I just found this out. Um, astrologist, astrologer, does it matter? I had never heard astrologist until literally last year. Okay. You'd only ever heard astrologer. And I don't know if it's like a region thing, if it's a England versus America versus Canada thing. I don't know. Um, I would love somebody to tell me where the history of that word comes from. And how, like the context. But yeah, she's okay. astrologist, which yeah. is, I don't know. Yeah, she's an astrologer. Um, and we were having a conversation over a, a relationship that I was 
kind of sharing with her and she was like, I wonder if you have, cause I'm seeing a lot of Scorpios right now circling around me. And ironically, my, one of my daughters is a Scorpio. Um, and she was like, I wonder if your moon's in Scorpio. Cause I'm a Gemini rising. Mm-hmm. And we looked and I was like, no, I'm actually a Virgo, a, a moon in Virgo. But when I looked it up and started reading about it, I was like, wow, that it just explained so much about myself. And it was almost also a place of like, oh, cool. Like I can accept these things about myself. They're, they're just me. Right. It's just how I operate and, or how I prefer to operate. Like one of them was like structure. I really like structure. I also like fluidity, but I still need that grounded structure probably to help with all of like my other Gemini energy that can be high energy spread out. The structure helps bring it back down and give me a sense of grounding and like a path to follow. So it was really cool when I was looking up the information, I was like, this is helpful. Um, This is useful. And it gives me that like, yes, these are the things that I need for my life to be successful and have a sense of direction in it. Yes. I love, a lot of people will say like, isn't that fatalistic though, to look at astrology and say like, oh, now you're doomed to do this forever. I'm like, no, it's, Uh, The whole point of it, and this is a very um, ancient alchemist type of thing to do, it's called Amor Fati, falling in love with your fate. And every good astrology teacher that I've had has talked about it, or in the case of Deborah Silverman, sung about it. She has a whole song about falling in love with your fate. It's so cute. Um, And my current teacher that I'm studying with, Matthew Merlin, he's fantastic in the Hellenistic astrologer. uses it as a means of not making excuses for yourself, not falling into victimhood, not um, saying, oh, well, that's just how I am. No, it's a way to witness your patterns so that you can work not only with them, but on them and shift them and move out of why does this keep happening to me into this is how I want things to happen. So it's taking charge of your own interactions on a day-to-day basis, as well as embracing the the game that you set up for yourself the moment you were born and this is why i think it applies to children because they came in with a soul contract and they said i'm going to really love to yell and scream and jump off of high places i also will hate spelling and finishing my dinner and they just like boom they decided (laughs) if you can look at a chart because everybody like i don't know about you but i remember when I was pregnant, everyone's like, oh, you're going to wish that your kid came with a manual, but they don't. You're just going to have to spend years trying to figure them out. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm going to have their astrology chart. So I was going to, I was going to ask, is this something that like you looked at before your children were born? Like, okay. Every, every astrologer that I know who's gotten pregnant has looked at the two weeks prior to and the two weeks following the estimated due date because it all you have to do is look on the daily and you're like okay this would be the moon this would be the moon on these days this would be the moon this would be moon. and if they're born at night it's going to be this set if they're going to be born in the daytime it'll be this set and i was looking at mostly the days uh, immediately before and immediately after my first son's due date and it wasn't too off he was four days early and so I was like, okay, here we are. But he really wanted to come in with a, an earth moon as well. And he waited until the rising sign was also in earth. So this kid is triple earth in his elemental distribution, Virgo sun, Taurus rising and Capricorn moon. And he 
only wants to be at home unless he's promised nature. Wow. He just, he's like, if I'm not going to be in rocks and trees. And he was crying Earth. the other day when we got to Sedona because he wanted trees. He's like, this isn't a forest. This is still desert. I want to go further north. And we're like, we know, honey, we know. But let's go climb on the rocks. And he loves rock climbing. He loves just laying in the grass. He wants to be naked all the time. He's as earthy as you get. Yeah. We also knew from his chart, he's going to be stubborn, pig-headed, literally use his head for things like... He does. He will bowl into you with the top of his head or he'll headbutt his brother and he won't feel anything. It's just how he operates. Mm -hmm. So kids, you can see based off of mostly their elements, how they're going to behave. Like um, my friend's daughter, who's triple fire. Or <laughs> all fire. Spitfire. Oh my gosh. When she was 18 months, she threw herself in the pool of the new house they just moved into. They pulled her out. She giggled and dunked herself under again. <laughs> like no fear, yeah. all energy, never stops, loves causing trouble and mischief, laughs so loud. She's just like a little imp, like a fire imp. And she's amazing. Absolutely amazing. But because we know she's fire, we know what her tendencies are going to be. And the thought of getting her to sit still and read a book with you is impossible. It's, she has to want to do it. Yeah. And we're not going to force her to. Me as her auntie, her fairy godmother, I'm like, let's run. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Knowing a lot of time, like, where your kid is kind of balanced is going to help you navigate how they're going to have their emotional outbursts, their tantrums, all of that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Knowing how, how they operate gives you a better roadmap as to how to approach this, the parenting process. Can it also trigger you, the parent too, though? And like, you kind of have to look at your own shit that's going to come up oh, based completely. on all your patterning, all the environment, like the environment you grew up in, because here's this kid that's like, no, this is who I am. And this is how, how I operate. And you're like, no, this isn't how I was taught. So then you, you're forced to look at your stuff that comes up. Yeah. And I think for any parent who's stepping into conscious parenthood, those things are recognized really quickly of, um, like, so I'm, I've been an advocate for gentle parenting for a long time. Uh, I knew right away we weren't going to spank. We weren't going to, um, punish physically at all. We were also going to do our best to not punish period but to have conversations around why we don't do certain things and why we encourage other things to be done mm -hmm. and it's not an easy route and I think just that decision a lot alone, of patience. <laughs> yeah that decision alone highlights where um where we as parents are still operating on very old patterns like I would resort to yelling um because it was the only thing that seemed to shock them out of whatever they were doing and recognize that, oh, the more I yell, the less they listen. But the less I yell, the more they listen when they really need to. And so did my absolute best to stop yelling at all costs unless they were about to cross the street. Yeah. Because then Yeah. So like when, when there's danger, when there's um, immediate threat, when there's actual situations where the body needs to respond to loud sound then it's used but i also had to recognize like okay how was i um 
still operating on old patterns of the way that I was raised with teachers, with coaches, with other family members as well. And the all way the stuff that, we bring in. <laughs> yeah, all of those things and the way that the kids respond because one of them, he just yells louder if you yell with him because he's a little fire. <laughs> so, I wonder if my youngest has a lot of fire in her because she's the same way. So she'll just give you like stuff right back to your face. <laughs> I call her my little sass and then I'm like, oh, you get it honest. And those are also like their traits that there's no good or bad right? No. And that's the thing is our, our culture has made so many things taboo. Like little girls should behave a different way than little boys. And that's not true. They're going to come in and behave the way they want to behave. And my kids happen to be very gender normative. They would rather like punch you if they're angry than sit down and cry. But they're, they're very different in, in their own patterns too of the way that they react to things and they're similar in other ways because there's a lot of earth in both of them Mm -hmm. and when you're looking at siblings it can be really interesting if one of them has like a lot of water and the other one has a lot of fire and you'll see those siblings tend to not get along as well as the ones who have similar elemental distribution so you Mm -hmm. as a parent of multiple children you can say oh this one over here, who's number three out of four, is going to be the odd one out because and kind of help negotiate the differences between them and say like, okay, look, when the other three siblings are all doing this and you don't want to do that, just come tell me and we'll figure out why or we'll figure out something else for you to do. Yeah. And it's super, super helpful for parents who are being conscious and being mindful and willing to work with kids' feelings. Like I have one friend, her daughter's triple water. And that child can throw a temper tantrum for two hours without stopping. She can cry on the floor and scream at the top of her lungs. And she really only did it when she was two and three, right? Like later on, she didn't. But her mom knew that she just had all of this emotion, all of this energy, and all of this water within her that just needed to come out. And it wasn't something that needed to be fixed. And it wasn't something that needed to be hidden. It just needed to be witnessed. And she would let her be in her playroom crying at the top of her lungs and she'd go into the kitchen she'd do something go somewhere else do something and after about an hour child would come out and say thank you mommy for letting me cry she didn't need anything she just needed to cry so i think a lot of us are told like if they're crying something's wrong we need to fix it or you need to stop it i know well especially like i grew up with a european father who it revolved around a lot like children are to be silent you're to be seen not heard um so yeah it's undoing a lot of those patterns to allow your child to just to be who they are and also not like because the more we put our patterns on them the more they have to undo later as well um so the clearer we can let them be then they can really go towards what they're supposed to become or who they're where they're supposed to go without a lot of the other stuff that's the goal, right? The, that's always my that's goal. That's the goal, totally. <laughs> the more astrology I shove at them, the less therapy they'll need later. The less they'll what? The, the more astrology they have now, the less therapy that they'll need later. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Tell me what you do when, like, do you have a go-to as a conscious parent for when your child is having like a reaction that maybe you didn't expect or 
that is in like the middle of something that like, oh crap, I was going to do this. And now this comes up. Is there like a go-to where you can kind of like catch yourself to, because part of the attachment parenting is prioritizing the connection with your child. Right. Um, so do you have a practice that you'll do in those moments to kind of bring yourself back into mindfulness of like, nope, this is priority. Mm, It depends. It was different when they were younger. When they were really young, I nursed for a long time. Uh, like that's part of attachment parenting is you let them self-wean. Mm-hmm. And I only weaned because my body was like not producing any milk anymore. It was just, <laughs> my body just said, we're done now. Yeah. And I was like, no, I want to keep going. And um, that was the comfort mechanism for everything was you get a boo-boo, mama milk. You get pushed, mama milk. Toy breaks, mama milk. Not what you wanted, mama milk. <laughs> So that was, that was the overall comfort. And then once that was gone is when I started having to actually uh, negotiate my actions around whatever was occurring. And, you know, we brought them along to every yoga retreat we ever did. And we had them present with us at a lot of the classes and a lot of the activities. And our kids were pretty attentive and pretty self directed they were well occupied with yoga blocks and building castles like they they weren't disruptive in the way that they could have been for the majority of the time and when they were they went with somebody else outside to let whatever out needed to come out and um, that's my goal now is to see if they're in a space where they're desire for action whether that's yelling or running or making noise is a bigger priority than being a participant in what mom and dad are doing to let them do that in an appropriate space and to just say okay this is not appropriate in here but we can go somewhere where it is it's totally okay to shout and scream and run in circles but we're not going to do it inside while people are meditating we're going to do it out in the yard where they can't hear us as much so just letting the behavior exist while still helping them negotiate social settings i think there's a a really cool balance that can start to happen and right now they kind of know they're like "Mm, i'm not digging this sitting still quiet thing i want to go be loud and they'll like tug at us and say come go and then anton and i have to figure out who's going to do that if there isn't another caretaker present but usually we've got a family member or a friend who's willing to do that as well if we're leading yeah Otherwise, one of us will do it. And when it's indoors, they take priority when they're awake, period. Um, If I'm doing some kind of artwork or I'm writing or I'm creating content for a class that I'm teaching and they're like, please, please, please. And we'll go play a game. We'll go read a book. I'll get them their snacks. And they are so self-directed in play. I've been really blessed with that. They love to play together and they love to play for a long time making stories. And so I'll get hours at a time where they just, they don't want to be disturbed. And if I watch them play, they stop and they look at me like, is something wrong? <laughs> You're like, no, I just want to enjoy watching you. <laughs> oh, cute. Can I look at your face? So no, they don't want me involved in that, which is, I think it's time that the attachment parenting worked, right? Because they're incredibly independent now. Mm-hmm. It's only when they're thirsty, hungry, or hurt that they come running back. Otherwise, they're totally When they awkward. still need you. 
And they are. So That's beautiful. I don't know what I would say for parents who didn't do that in the beginning, you know, who crib slept or who um, did other types of uh, non-attachment parenting things where they weren't really as present um, because I feel like the kids might behave a little differently. But for me, it's knowing knowing their basic personality structures gave us then a framework of sometimes we just need to sit still and be held and that's more comforting to two earth moons like so both kids have their moon in an earth sign it's more comforting to sit still like a grounded rock and to have a mom who is that than to talk about it which is what my gemini rising wants to do to scream about it which is what you could expect from fire to cry about it which is what you could expect from water it's that kind of solid just stillness Mm -hmm. some people argue about whether earth or water is still and that's always something that bothered me about one school of astrology i was in it's like no water flows water moves water is never never still the grounded structure the and yes earth can be very productive and very dominating when it's in a unhealthy aspect but when it's healthy i just think of like a rock Mm -hmm. really solid rock and that's what i seek to provide for them but i think it just again it depends on your child like if you notice that your child is really wanting your attention and you're on your phone that's an adult choice that you have to make totally i have to make because i'm like this is for business and they look at me and they're like are you answering emails again and they they give me sass back because yep. they know. like okay fine i'll give you a minute because if you make money you buy me legos so answer that email then i need your attention i love that sat that's like my youngest sass yeah coming from a parent i mean i don't have i want i really want to get their astrology charts now so just out of like curiosity having this conversation i'm like hmm my youngest must have a lot of fire in her my eldest probably has a lot of water in her. Um, I want to look at them now. <laughs> uh, totally. Uh, we'll have to set that up. But as like, so when I started my parenting journey, I think I was present in some ways, but not as present as I am now or conscious as I think I've grown into. So I did have to do a lot of backtracking and it was hard work <laughs> and it was painful uh however being on the other end of it 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 is beautiful because you once you unlearn and you relearn and they just be it becomes habit for example like responding to my child so instead of because they're gonna want your attention and that's normal they're children they need your attention (laughs) um yeah if they're not doing that it's kind of like okay wait hold on why why am i here Yeah. Well, and then it can indicate a total other different parenting style that has its own like set of, of issues too. And it's also like, for me, I chose to be a present conscious parent to help them grow into the beans, hopefully to help them grow as they need and to help them be their own person and be confident in that as they grow. Um, But yeah, I did have to undo a lot. And it was a lot of like catching myself. Wait, okay, I need to reflect. I need to be present to them because we're always, there's always this, 
a dialogue behind the words, right? There's always a feeling or something that they're trying to tell you behind it. So being present to that. And I just had like, that was what I had to do over and over and over again. Stop, be present, stop, be present. And it has gotten to a lot more fluid once they, once they realize like, oh, okay, mommy's for real. I can like trust that mommy's going to answer to what I need and want a lot of the like clinginess went away a lot of, it just became a lot smoother. Um, so that's, I love, it. I love that you brought that up because I heard someone say this once parents only get frustrated when they're not present with their kids. Mm-hmm. The only time you're frustrated with your kids is when you're not being present and like, oof, what a good mindfulness practice. And they always say that they're little Zen Buddhist masters living with you like up until the age of five because they're so connected and they can tell instantly when you are out of alignment. And totally. so like anytime I'm like, no, I want, oh, I'm doing it, <laughs> I'm doing it again. And, yeah, and it's different if it's like, you know, you're in the middle of cooking dinner and they just won't stop. And you're like, guys, we're not going to eat food tonight if you don't let me finish this. But I have started saying, do you want to help? Yes. You're on the learning tower and watch me do this. Do you want to be involved in some way? And they're like, no. And then they run away. (laughs) So I realized the invitation to be present with me is working a whole lot better than telling them you're too little. You can't do this. And not that I'm going to hand them a knife. Some moms do because they trust that their child is focused enough to chop the cucumbers. But I know that mine will go nuts. So <laughs> we give them As other- he looks at you and is like talking to you. Yeah. So actually, let's stir instead. Yeah. Cuisine art. I think that's the brand of it. Actually, I can pass. I'll give Anton the ones I have because my kids don't need them anymore. But they make these really cool like- plastic ones mm-hmm. um that will still cut pretty well and like I'd have my daughters cut bananas or like avocados like smushy things to start yeah. off with right yeah. for practice but yeah even just that invitation of hey do you want to come with me a lot of times like they just want to be acknowledged seen and heard like all human beings really right yeah. <laughs> and and if I'm not being present with them because I'm convinced I need to up my marketing and I'm doing an Instagram post and they're asking me something. It's a consistent practice of put the phone down, just be done with it. It, it can happen and it will happen later. And if it doesn't, that means it never needed to in the first place. Oh, very true. I think too many of us get so caught up in this, um, cycle of, I have to work hard, I have to earn money, I have to provide, I have to be successful, all these things that are learned behaviors because unless you were producing plants in a garden or like doing animal husbandry, you actually didn't need to do any of this stuff that we're doing right now. That's so, what our society is. Like, yeah. That's what it prioritizes. Like they're, they're more excited about the pumpkin plants that are growing in our garden than anything else. And if that was all that we did this year, we successfully grew our own jack-o'-lanterns. Like it's cool. Um, so I think for all of the parents who are stepping towards consciousness, like you said maybe they're not, um, they weren't aware of it, but now they are. And I don't want there to be any guilt or shame. Like what you did up until this point was the right thing for your family because 
that was the best you knew. And I don't want people to like make excuses either of, well, I could have read it somewhere. Well, you didn't. And now you're hearing it. If this is the first time you've heard that this even exists and cool, now you get to move forward. You get to make a different choice. And that's, what's beautiful about this is we're all on the learning journey together. And the more that you dive into this type of stuff, whether it's through astrology or not, the more your kids will benefit and the more you will benefit as a result too. Totally. One book that my, one of my absolute best friends gave to me, um, about like a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago now, called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk. Ooh. And it is, it's the best thing. Like we keep it out always. And Anton and I will occasionally flip through it and we'll be reminded of things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're doing that pattern again. And I found it in like chapter 16 and ah, he's like, calm down. It's fine. And, and then he'll come in later and be like, that thing you said that I said that, oh my gosh. And it's so good at highlighting our unnoticed patterns Mm -hmm. in terms of not just our verbal language, but our body language with our children of, I don't feel like you're capable. And so I'm just going to turn my back right now and try to get it done quickly before you see it Mm -hmm. rather than pause, be patient, and let your sweet hands that don't know what they're doing fumble for a bit until you ask for my help. Yep. Oh, patience. (laughs) Patience. Oh my gosh. Patience is definitely a virtue. Oh, it takes a lot of patience. And we'll also think about that though, because then we as the parent have to be completely aware of our internal world and what's going on and why we're feeling the way that we're feeling and be able to reconcile that of no, stop. Even though your body is like literally, it might be screaming if you haven't done the work and you haven't been aware of what's going on inside of you and you haven't responded to yourself, right? To learn that process of self-regulation and self-soothing then like internally, you're going to be like freaking out. So you have to regulate yourself before you can actually turn to the child and be like, okay, go for it. And like, just stand there. And, and that is, that's a big thing of parenting though, especially as they get older, cause they are going to fall. They are going to fail. Right. We can't fix it all for them. And if we try to like do everything for them, then we raise these entitled little brats that have like no idea how to do life. Codependent, like yeah. yes, codependent. and anxious and like scared human beings, which yeah. look at the state of the world right now. Everybody's like in this terrified state and they say that this generation has been the most coddled. And I was like, yeah, this is what happens. Great social experiment, isn't it everyone? Um, so the, the thing with astrology is it, it highlights all of that for you. It highlights your patterns. It highlights your learned behaviors as well as your innate behaviors. It shows you all the places where you will move towards the low road because it's easier rather than push yourself towards the discomfort of the more growth-oriented choice. It's <laughs> probably the best way to put it. And I love looking at parents and children together with the astrology because there's always family patterns. And when you look at a parent's astrology, like say we looked at your parents, Christine, rather than you as the parent, like what did your dad have in his chart that was like order, structure, valuing, everything being tidy and perfect in its place. And then where did you internalize that? Because your Virgo moon was like, I just want to please you. 
nail on the head. Totally. <laughs> now, now, you know, we have to have a, a couple sessions to dive into. And that's why it's so awesome to look at because um, like me, for example, both my parents are Scorpios and they're radically different Scorpios. And most people hear Scorpio and they think it's one thing, but male to female is going to be different. Somebody who is born in the daytime is going to be different than someone who's born in the nighttime. Somebody who's born with the moon in one of the other signs versus the moon in the same sign. Like all of those things are factors. So just saying Scorpio isn't enough, but suffice it to say, they like secrets. They like um, knowing about those things with people because I always get calls from my mom about the women at church who did this thing. Um, and I just I started recognizing the patterns really young or like my dad's family's all drama it's like a Mexican soap opera but in real life and it's amazing like who's not talking to who right now and how did that happen and oh wait what divorce (laughs) nuts and it, it it's like there's certain things about Scorpio that you just can't deny they're um there's going to be drama. There's going to be intrigue. There's going to be mystery. And that's why we're so attracted to it because it has this, this fascinating quality to it. And people love being around my dad. He's like the most magnetic creature and babies love him. Like he can hold any baby and it will stop crying. He's just got this like power to him but it's also really soft because it's water in a male figure so like there's all of these things where you can see how the parents are exhibiting certain qualities of certain signs and then you see how it was with me and they had immense power over me as a child where the second I stepped out of line I punished myself because I didn't want to make them upset because they were such big personalities in my world and it's totally shaped the way that I interact with everybody in authority as a result. And so when you look at things like that, like were parents the same sign? Were they different? Were they um, in harmonious signs? Were they in opposing signs? Were they the same element? Were they different elements? It can totally shape the way that the child then comes out. And so for you, looking at your parents' charts can help you figure out the way that you have let certain aspects of your chart shine and hidden away other parts because the parents either accepted or rejected them. And then that helps you unravel all that programming that much faster. The shadow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. I love that. Yeah. I definitely want to dive into that. I wonder when you, as you were like, I wonder if if they were opposing forces, Um, Mm -hmm. Taurus, which is very, very strong. Uh, Although, no, it's it's funny because there's two sides like I can see two in my mom where she's stubborn, but then she's also very empathetic and nurturing. I can also see how that is that has been passed down to me as well. Um, And what's your dad? My dad is Sagittarius. It's January. Yeah. So um, it's January 20. No, no, no. He's Capricorn. Uh, Sagittarius is November, late the last week of November to the last week of December, the winter solstice. And then starting the winter solstice, December 21st until January 21st or 19th is Capricorn. Okay. He's the 18th. Yeah. January 18th. Capricorn. 
and Capricorn. So both parents are Earth, which makes sense that they would want to come together. There's that like elemental attraction that's there. They exhibit in different ways though. Capricorn is really well known for being organized, hardworking, leader, in control, wants everything to be exactly their way, alphabetizes up the wazoo. Also, if something's not working, burns it to the ground, gets to the bottom, starts and has to climb the mountain all over again. So you will see a, a constant repetition of them destroying things in their life and then having to climb and they enjoy the climb. And then they don't know what to do when they get to the top. So they have to destroy it. And uh, Taurus is the consistent, like, I don't want to say plotting, but like very consistent, steady, rhythmic uh, earth sign. They're the ones who will get things done. They'll get things fixed. So Capricorn Cardinal, um, or in ancient astrology, it's tropical. So they're like consistently starting over and over and over again. They don't like to finish as much as Taurus does, which is the fixed sign or the steady sign. They are the ones who get the projects done. Taurus is also ruled by Venus and Venus is loving, generous, nurturing, very soft, very beautiful. Taurus loves being out in nature. They like gardens or cooking, um, exhibiting that Got a kind huge of garden. <laughs> yeah. So you'll see that a lot with Taurus. And the difference is Taurus will be working on the same thing and probably eat the same meal every day mm-hmm. for 20 years. And Capricorn will change every one to five. So that is so funny because I see I've seen both in me. But when when I was 16, I took over cooking for the family because my mom would make the same thing over and over again. And it drove me crazy. I and well, I think my Gemini side really does like variety. I like both. I like a good mix of both. But it drove me so crazy that I was like, I'll start making dinners. And I started making dinners at 16. It was great to teach me independence. All right. So tell me, do you talk to your children about their astrology charts? We do. The little one has just figured out how to say Sagittarius. That's a hard word. Yeah, that is. (laughs) He says, I'm this many. Holds up three fingers. I'm Sagittarius. That's so cute. That's so sweet. Oh, and he loves telling people. And um, the older one gets confused on which one he is which i think is so telling about remember i said like they're mostly their rising and their moon sign he mm-hmm. will tell people his moon sign okay sometimes he'll tell people the sun sign but for the most part he's like capricorn oh wait no i'm a virgo wait uh taurus and he'll go back and forth between all of them you say it and the the little one has taurus and virgo as well And that's why they get along so well is they both have their moons in that space. So their bodies want to be in the same kind of environment. Okay. And their, um, their understanding of stuff right now is that the stars move and that sometimes the stars make you feel a little bit one way and sometimes it can help you feel a little bit different. And the, they look at the moon phases with me. So whenever we can, we'll go out and look at the moon and we'll talk about full moons and new moons and full moons are a lot of energy and new moons are no energy and crescent moons are like when things are growing or when things are fading away. And so we'll talk about that more. And I think kids, because it's tangible, they can see the moons. They were really excited when the Saturn Jupiter conjunction happened 
the last winter solstice and they were knocking on the neighbor's doors like come see it come see you can see saturn and jupiter in the sky that's so sweet that's so sweet i love that i love that they're gonna have that knowledge speaking of the feels so when there is a new moon um or anything like that changes within astrology does that impact each sign a little bit differently as far as what we'll be feeling? It definitely does. Like if you have, say you have a natal moon in Virgo, if the moon itself is in Virgo, which it, it moves through every month, right? The moon takes about two days in each sign. That's why we call it a month because it's anywhere from 28 to 30 days mm. for the moon to make a full circle of the zodiac. And so that's how we used to mark time was the moon completing that circle every month and um, starting with the new moon, going to the full moon, back to the new. And when you are natally one of the the big two, either new moon or full, right? Because we think polarities in this dimension, everything is like very polar, um, Mm -hmm. polarized. So when we feel the full moon, you'll feel it more if it's either your natal moon or natal sun. So if you are um, Virgo moon, you're going to feel the upcoming new moon more. I don't know when this is going to air, but the next new moon is September. And so you'll feel it more because your moon is natally there. Now, for somebody who has their moon in, I don't know, Aquarius, they wouldn't feel it as much as they will this upcoming full moon because this upcoming full moon is in Aquarius and they will feel the impact of it on a greater level. Again, this all depends on awareness though. If you aren't aware of your surroundings, if you aren't in touch with your internal system, you won't notice any different. Okay. At least not consciously. Yeah. But it it makes sense then that sometimes I'll feel different. Yes. Yeah. Different things are different ways. And I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) And some people will say, oh my gosh, that eclipse. And I'll say, I don't wait, what happened? (laughs) Because I didn't feel it. It didn't trigger anything in my chart. It didn't turn on or activate any part of my chart because it was where there's empty spaces. Yeah. And so it didn't affect me as deeply. I was still aware that it was happening because I look every single morning at the astrological weather. (laughs) And prepare for the day. And that's, I encourage people to do that. All you have to do is go to Uh astro.com and there's a little icon that you can click in the top right hand corner that has three planetary symbols next to the words, my astro. And you just click the three planetary symbols and it'll give you the current like moment where everything is. And if you don't know the glyphs or you aren't sure what the symbols mean, all you have to do is hover your mouse over it and it tells you. That's awesome. You can learn astrology as you become aware of astrology. And so every single morning you can say, oh, where is the moon? And guess where the moon is right now today as we're recording this? Where is it? Virgo. (laughs) So um, it was like in this, cute little space Um, and we're going through different phases and different places and if you want to go deeper and look at like where's Mercury where are Venus and Mars where are these planets you can but really the sun and the moon are going to tell you what the day's weather will be like and if there's anything that's major that's happening like one of the outer planets shifts into another sign all the astrologers will talk about it it'll be on the front page of astro.com because 
it takes them long time. It takes them like a really long time to move in and out of signs. Like okay. when Jupiter moved earlier this year into Pisces, all the astrologers were flipping out and everybody who does magic was doing ritual because it was a big deal. And then he moved back into Aquarius. We all calm down again. It, he won't move back until December. And so people are watching for things like that because that's when the energy shifts on a a much larger scale for like humanity. That's why they call it the personal planets versus the transpersonal planets. So if you're looking for your own personality, your kids' personalities, look at the sun and the moon every day and follow the progress and know where the moon is because that's going to affect people's emotions and bodies more. And then if you want to start paying attention to global events, then you look at the outer planets. So everything from Jupiter beyond. Okay. And the energy shifts, like when there are big changes like that, is that something that you can pull energy from to like help you shift something or move something in your life or that you can become aware of and like, oh, okay, I'm ready to let go of this old patterning or. Definitely. This is where astrological magic is huge. And people used to use astrology just for these things, right? They wouldn't, um, crown a new king until it was at an auspicious day and it wasn't auspicious because birds were flying overhead and clouds were going by it was auspicious because of where the stars were and they had people who specifically studied the heavens just to help events be in their best place and we used to it's called electional astrology so you're talking about the different types of astrology that are useful for different times electional is when you choose certain things like if you want to get married do it on this day not that day if you want to start a new business or launch a course do it on this day not that day and you can look ahead and see it and see when it's going to be successful or not <laughs> and so cool. it can get a little obsessive right it's yeah. not like you start planning when you go to the grocery store but you do want to embrace it i can't now. step outside today <laughs> That's gonna be terrible. No, um, it's like it's going to happen either way. It's just the choice. Um, but I do think it's useful to be able to take advantage of astrology in that sense. And yeah. when we're when we're choosing to bring things in, the moon needs to be waxing. And when we're choosing to let things go or to um, maybe like end something, then we want the moon to be waning. And that's the biggest factor. Everything else beyond that, you you probably want to consult an astrologer for. But say you like, you're going to sign a contract for um, a new business deal. If the moon is waxing, chances are it will be more beneficial than if the moon is waning. And then it might end sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, paying attention to little things like that. That's the simplest version of that kind of astrology. Like, is it waxing? Is it waning? And planning things accordingly. I used to joke with people like, next time you plan your salon haircut, do it when the moon is waxing, because then your hair will grow back faster. (laughs) Or for men who want their hair to grow slower, because they already have to go to the barber twice a month, Mm -hmm. do it when the moon is waning. And then you won't have to go back so soon. Or if you're waxing your legs, do it when the moon is waning. <laughs> so it goes back slower. And people would laugh, but it works. 
weird thing that works. Um, our bodies are so made of water. We know this. We talk about it in science. And the moon, what does it do? It pushes and pulls that water. It pushes and pulls our bodies. It's just, it's an extension of that energy. And so we know we respond to it. Yeah. That makes me want to go look like every day that I've signed a contract. <laughs> when has it been? What was the moon cycle doing? <laughs> And I mean, there's a lot of people who get really obsessed with like Mercury being direct or Mercury being retrograde and what to do when and what not to do. And it, it takes a certain sense of level headedness to step into this field because you can get really obsessive and spiral into being frozen yeah. because like, everything has to be in this right place. No, the world's going to continue. There's going to be benefits and detriments every single day. Yeah. And Just like anything. Yeah. That's part of the point of being human is to then play with the game and see what's happening. And exactly. I think there's, um, there's a lot of fun that can happen though, when you are planning something special to do this kind of astrology, because then you, you go in with that intention of mindfulness you go in with that intention of being aware of consciously choosing to do it on that day at that time and it just adds to the level of wonder and magic that's already occurring with something that is such a big life event yeah yeah i love that bringing the intention into into um the kind of like the fluidity of it mm-hmm. both that's awesome Love that. All right. Where can we find you? Where can we get your, your services or book your services for readings? Um, I am on Instagram at which goddess mama and my website is amysolara.com. And through both, you can find links to book with me and on my website, it shows all the different types of readings and things that I'm offering right now. And on my link tree on Instagram, there's a link that will take you directly to my website and readings and you can click there. And um, it says more than astrology, but it's always a good place to start. That's where I start with my one-on-one clients. We'll look at the astrology chart first because it's kind of the foundation for how they behave (laughs) from that point on. And a a building place to go from. Yeah. Like, oh, here are your patterns. Here where they're not, they're not showing up very well for you. <laughs> Here's where they are. <laughs> um, what about, you have your all flight school. So also as flight school isn't going to start again for a little while. I'm doing a different course that's preparation for that. Cause the last time that I did also also as flight school, there were lots of levels of um, practice and experience that, uh, made the language difficult because for some people they had already heard a lot of it and so it was redundant and for other people they had never encountered it before so it was a little scary and I want people to come in on a level playing field and so I created foundations which is the philosophical basis for the type of magic so it's hermetic witchcraft <laughs> it's really what it is um, that Hellenistic astrology is heavily influencing all the work that I do yeah, and yeah. then I'm launching for the first time um, in September, the end of September, 
All Souls framework, which is the structure. Miss Virgo Moon, you would like the structure for how to do rituals, spells, and magic in general, so that you have a really solid framework, which is why it's called that, for the future. So if you decide to continue working with me or not, you're capable of building your own magical practice with a set of tools that are pretty universal. And I just request that everyone who's signing up for that at least read through foundations, which is why you can purchase them together right now so that you can okay. get foundations and framework all at once. And you can read through all of the PDFs from that previous course in preparation for the one that's launching in September. And for people who are local to the Phoenix area, I'm going to offer 12 spaces for an in-person version of the class because almost everything else I do is online. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the experience of doing this type of work in person is so potent. I don't want to take away from that, but I also don't want to have a massive group. So it's only 12 spaces. So the first 12 who sign up for in person, that's it. They're getting it. Um, and anybody who's interested can send me a DM through Instagram or email me at amy at amysolara.com and we can talk about it. And I've had a few people reach out already. So if, if you're hearing this by the end of August slash early September, like don't wait because it might have already filled up and um, reach out. Yeah, it's it's going to be good. We're going to go over elements and basic things like candle magic and crystals and essential oils and different pantheons, which is my favorite part where we get to talk about the myths of these great beings that have so influenced us as humans and why we still talk about their names. Like why should Shiva or Odin or Zeus matter? <laughs> and let's go through it. Um, and which one do you resonate with more? And how do you do magic for that culture versus this culture? And it, it's a very broad brushstrokes of that type of work. And it, provides, I think, the pathway to go deeper into each of them if you want to be initiated further in one particular style of magic or spiritual philosophy. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Like a gentle dive in and then you can build from there. Yeah. Framework. <laughs> My brain that loves structure. <laughs> That's the big one that I'm doing by myself. And then in partnership with other people, we've got some things coming up. Um, Every month, I'm doing the Women's Circle, Sacred Sisters Circle AZ, with a couple other fantastic women. And so if you are female-bodied and woman-identified, <laughs> it's hard these days. Yeah. Um, if you have a womb, if you have a womb, <laughs> um, it, it's limited to only 20 spaces so that it stays intimate because it's so nice to be able to share and listen to each woman's story. And we do cacao ceremony, meditation, and a little bit of movement every single time, which is nice. And, and sound healing, like bowls will be played over you. So it's beautiful. Um, and that's at least twice a month every month because we do the new moon, the full moon, and then occasionally one of the big wheels of the year holidays. So the next one coming up will be Mabon, which is the September, uh, one of the eight holy days of a witch's year. And then Anton and I are doing our mindfulness and meditation movement retreat at the end of August, on August 29th. And that still has some spaces open and we're going to do 
an all-day intensive on how to meditate and what that feels like and how to translate that practice into everyday life. So that'll Love be it. Yes. And yeah, I'm sure you guys will be doing your, um, the, oh my gosh, the, why am I blanking? Anton's shaking. Yes. Primal flow will be. Yes. The primal flow. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. We'll do primal flow in the morning as well as a couple other types of meditation. There's going to be not just, um, from the Indian tradition. So not just yoga meditation, but other types of meditation as well from Tai Chi to uh guided shamanic meditations and journeying like it's across the board so for people who maybe don't resonate as much with chanting in sanskrit you'll still find a lot of resources available to you mm-hmm. and then the last thing i know there's a lot <laughs> love it you're busy this yeah. is awesome all like good things that light you up there's so many things and this one i it's my one of my biggest babies um women's retreat in the late fall november 18th to the 21st um i'm doing it in partnership with sacred sisters az which is shannon weller and we are having a women's retreat here in arizona um that will include movement every morning uh some sort of workshop with one of the main teachers in the mid-morning and then deep shadow work, intensive processing and integration in the afternoon and then fire circle with song and dance at night. I know, I'm so excited. Ah, I just got chills. That's, that's And we have such a great lineup of teachers and we're in this space right now where, um, We've already got more than 20 women signed up and we're like, what are we going to cap it at? (laughs) How big is this going to get? And so uh, I would say reserve it now because we only have a certain number of cabin spaces. And I know not every woman wants to camp where there are potential scorpions and snakes (laughs) and the cabins will save you from that. But it's going to be great. And the weather in November, it's going to be heavenly. So if anybody's listening from out of state and you're like, I want to escape the snow, here you are. Um, Just before Thanksgiving, another reason to celebrate and gather and be together. And that's perfect. Get the shadow stuff out before your big family celebrations. (laughs) Another great thing. (laughs) And it'll carry you. It'll... Yep. lift you up and ground you at the same time so you can walk in with a level head and an open heart and very clear energy field yes totally totally best thing to do before family family holidays <laughs> all right well thank you thank you so much amy i again loved having you on i always love having you on thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge and all the information you have all book or all lists the everywhere that um, everyone can find you in the show notes um, to book you and any last like little words insight you want to share anything coming through hmm to put you on the spot I know I was like what one thing you can say no don't tell Jupiter on the ascendant just one (laughs) (laughs) you could say like two or three (laughs) choices (laughs) don't don't knock the simplicity of 
going out and letting the sun be on your skin. Mm. Like while we're in these last days of summer, it is so nourishing to let the elements actually revive you and prepare you as we're moving towards days of darkness, right? Um, it's something that we get to carry internally and the ancients knew it, how powerful it is to let the sun come into you. And we all talk about our solar plexus and our will and our chakras there. So um, yeah, let, let that light help stoke your inner fire. Love that, good words of advice. Thank you. Thank you, love. For having me. You're my pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the House of Minds. Cheers to mind expansion and a